There were stories like this before there were books. I'll bet you the cave paintings they find in France, all those bison and horses running around, those were illustrations for tales of trips. Maybe they also served as base camp for kinds of mental or spiritual trips, shamanic trips, practice trips. What we call humans climbed out of the trees two million years ago, let's say, in eastern Africa. We started walking and we haven't stopped. We filled up the earth, every crevice and corner. Now we're poking about looking for new earths. Campfire stories aren't always about trips, it's true. Sometimes they're about hookhand man, for instance. But then again, you're already camping. You're reenacting the major activity of human history, walking the earth. For as long as there have been books, there have been books about trips. In the Sumerian epic of Gilgamesh, King Gilgamesh and his grass-eating, wild-haired buddy Enkidu are off to the cedar forest by Tablet 4. In fairness, Gilgamesh and Enkidu aren't just going on vacation. They're going to kill the monstrous giant Humbaba because it will make them even more famous. Gilgamesh is already famous. Back in Tablet 1, it's established that he's had sex with every single hot woman in Uruk, to the point that it's a problem. But he feels called to go on an adventure. Maybe the first person to take a trip just to write about it was Herodotus, who lived in Greece, or maybe western Turkey, in the 5th century BC. He went across the Mediterranean to have a look at Egypt. Herodotus showed the way to write this kind of book. Put in anything interesting you come across. He believed anything anybody told him. Like, for example, that in Central Asia, there are enormous ants that dig up gold. This might sound ridiculous, but it may even be half true. The pro-Herodotus historians will inform you that the Brogpa people of Ladakh in far northern India sometimes collected gold dust from burrows dug by Himalayan marmots. It doesn't matter. Herodotus's point was that the world was interesting, and if you had a look at it and told people what you saw and heard, they'd be interested too. He was right. The story goes that Herodotus got back to Greece with his pages and went immediately to the Olympic Games, where he read his work out loud in an arena and was celebrated by the crowd with thunderous applause. That's what later Greek writer Lucian claimed, anyway. Lucian might have been joking, come to think of it, or making fun of Herodotus in some weird, jealous way. You can feel the professional envy dripping off Lucian. There was no man who had not heard his name. He had only to appear and fingers were pointing at him. Lucian was so pissed, in fact, that he wrote True History. As best as I can tell, True History was meant to be a wicked, brutal parody of Herodotus' travel stories. Lucian goes on and on about how when he was traveling, he saw a river of wine and a cheese island, and he visited the Morning Star where dog-faced men fight each other on flying acorns. I won't make anything up, though. Everything I put in this book is true. I saw it or heard it or experienced it myself, or else it's something I learned that I looked into and believed to be true. There's no need to make up experiences. Why do that extra work of imagining? If you just go out in the world far enough, you'll find plenty that's crazy and worth putting down. Ancient China was full of travel tales. In the 1600s, Shu Xiaqi went all over China, along the way earning extra money from Buddhist abbots who would pay him to gather and write the history of local monasteries. There's enough odd and exaggerated stuff in Chinese travel literature to fuel a whole industry of people who believe ancient Chinese sailors were hanging out in San Francisco Bay by the 1400s. Then there was Rustichello de Pisa, 
who'd had some success writing a romance about King Arthur before he got thrown into a dungeon in Genoa around the year 1284. His cellmate was a guy named Marco Polo, who, it turned out, had traveled farther than anyone else alive, all the way to the court of Kublai Khan in what's now Beijing. Or had he? Some scholars suspect that he made a lot of it up. But in any case, Rustichello saw a chance to make a quick buck ghostwriting, and the result is that Europe heard about China. Soon the Great Age of Exploring began. In 1492, Columbus discovered something. It was unclear what, but the desperate and adventurous went to find out. Alcoholic bastard sons of minor nobles in Spain went to South America, lucked into lopsided victories over the locals, and made themselves lords of spectacularly wealthy kingdoms. Others got lost in the jungle and went insane. Magellan set off around the world on a leaky wooden boat that he had barely any idea how to navigate. He got himself speared to death in the Philippines by natives who guessed, correctly, that he was up to no good. But the survivors of his expedition became the first people to circumnavigate the earth. From there, traveling and travel writing were unstoppable. People couldn't get enough. The English went particularly nuts with exploring, maybe because they were from a cold, dreary island where nothing fun ever happened. And meanwhile, the first English captains to reach Tahiti were writing stupefied entries in their logbooks about what Tahitian women had just taught them about blowjobs. The American scholar Paul Fussell wrote a whole book, Abroad, about this history of English travel writing, about sensitive aristocrats and shell-shocked survivors of World War I who set out for the tropics, for the desert, for the source of the river Oxus, and for the peaks of the Himalayas. There were so many English writers taking trips that they'd run into each other. Eric Newby was trekking around Afghanistan writing a short walk in the Hindu Kush when he ran into the legendary explorer Wilfred Thesiger, who was living with a local tribe and who told Newby the route he was taking was for pussies. Travel books were a massive form of entertainment in the 19th century. Robert Louis Stevenson commissioned one of the world's first sleeping bags so he could write his bestseller, Travels with a Donkey in the Savannes. Herman Melville got famous writing about his real-life adventures with cannibals in the Marquesas and then went broke when he switched to fiction. The freelance reporter Henry Stanley went to Africa to find lost do-gooder doctor David Livingston. All along the way back, he got chiefs to sign contracts they didn't understand, which he then sold to the king of Belgium, who used them to claim the entire Congo. 